wonderful testimonies, and uh, there's so many testimonies you could have picked from. It's always hard just to pick a, a handful, uh, but I certainly appreciate that, and we appreciate everything uh, that you supported us uh, back here in Cleveland. Um, and so uh, tonight, uh, we're going to preach a message here, just a little bit different, maybe uh, a slight more doctrinally uh, slanted message. Uh, but open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We'll be doing a little bit of flipping here today. Luke chapter 8. And uh, we'll look at this particular parable. It is the commonly known parable of the sower. The sower goes out to sow seed, and that seed is the word. And it tells us uh, in a, uh, in, by way of parable that the sower is God, and he desires to sow the word, and the, the soils are our hearts, and whether or not we are willing to receive that word. The Bible says this in verse 11. Now, the parable is this. This is now the Lord explaining uh, this particular parable. The disciples ask him, you know, what does this even mean? And so he, you know, just like the Lord, he'll explain it to you if you ask him. Uh, The Bible says this in verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be leave and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring forth fruit to per- bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. The title of the message today is, What's That Noise in Your Life? What's that noise in your life? Today we're going to find out that it is the Lord that indeed wants to communicate with you. But through the toils of communication, we find that there is actually great noise that occasionally we must parse through. So with God's help, I'd like for us to look at this particular passage and a few others as we consider what's that noise in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you, Lord, that you're so good to us, Lord, day by day. Lord, you never cease to amaze us, Lord, with the uh, blessing and benefit, Lord, that you loadeth us with. We are very thankful for that, Lord. We are an unworthy people, Lord, and yet you make us worthy uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. We ask for your mind and your ability today, Lord, and you would lead uh, with, by way of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I was at Cleveland State University, uh, my major was journalism and promotional communications. I wanted to write for ad campaigns. Um, This is not the uh, honorable form of writing, uh, where some sort of uh, beginning, middle, and end, there's maybe a a very poetic story or artistic story as before. This is more of the have-it-your-way style writing, the just-do-its, if you will, the the, the Googles of this life. I wanted to, to write for an ad. It was called copywriting. You know, there was nothing really passionate about it. Honestly, I just wanted to make a little money. <laughs> that was pretty much it. That was my goal in the whole thing. In fact, I frequently go back to, in my mind uh, in those classes, and they were all somewhat similar. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, I hope I land a job in this career, because it seems like it would be quite lucrative uh, to be a copywriter at an ad agency. There's very little passion with that. It really is. Uh, maybe you write the instructions for uh, some toaster along the way. That's part of copywriting. Maybe you're just part of some sort of uh, PR campaign or whatever the case may be, whatever it is, 
uh, it was that style of writing. Again, very uh, unromantic, if you will. There's, there's nothing be- beautiful about it. It is, the, it is the style that is pure business. That's sort of what interests me back then. You know, at every one of my classes, they would unveil the uh, form of communication, what that form of communication was supposed to look like. In fact, all my classes had something called the SMCR model. And uh, we'll look at that here in just a second. What it meant was the source message and channel receiver. It was developed by a theorist named Burlow from Michigan State University. All right, now, uh, communication. I mean, every one of my classes was about this thing. What was the source? What was this message and channel? What was this receiver? Well, I'd like to call up uh, Calvin Goodman, if you can. Actually, no, Yandel. Yandel. If I can get Yandel up here. We just saw Yandel. And I'll have you right behind this wonderful shrubbery. Like this way. Very good. All right, you can hold that up. All right, so the source. All right, the source is the person that is giving the message. Uh, he is the primary giver of this message. Whatever the message is, it could very well be, uh, I'm not on, am I? Should I stay on the pulpit? So flip it over here. I'm sure it's me. I'm sure it's me. How about that? Is that better? Very good. Very good. I hope this uh, shows up on one of those internet botch sites for Baptist preachers. This is very good. Okay. All right, so uh, as I was saying, uh, there's always a, uh, in the form of communication, there's somebody that is administering this message. Uh, Whatever that message is, there has to be a source. If you make a call, you're the one making the call to somebody else. It's your friend. What are you making? You're making... A message by way of a channel. Can I have Calvin come up here? You're giving some sort of message. Imagine you're a newscaster, or imagine you're making a phone call, or imagine you're making a post online. Whatever it is, you're going to be giving a message, and it's by way of a channel. We're going to group these two ideas together. They're actually a little bit different. But the source is giving a message. And that message is something, whatever that something is. And it's by way of a channel. It's what you taste, see, or smell, uh, whatever that case may be, or touch. It could be a newspaper, it could be online, it could be by way of a phone call, it could be on television uh, or on your phone or something like that. But some source is giving a message. That's very interesting. But then there's somebody else. I mean, this would be, uh, you know, like if you're a, a preacher in Bible college, I know just about every preacher in Bible college just goes out into their car and preaches wonderful messages in, in, by themselves in their vehicle on a drive or out yelling at the air in some park somewhere all by themselves. You know, but in the end, it's better to have a, an audience for a message, isn't it? So you need a receiver. Can I have receiver come up this way? Also, Brother Aaron here, doing a fine job here on our intern staff. So, so here's, here's communication. This is all my classes at Cleveland State were, were uh, this model. It was the sender, message, channel, receiver. All right, so the source gives the message. And he goes back this way by way of a channel, ba 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 and it comes to the receiver, and the receiver then interprets the message. Is it a phone call? Is it an ad on TV? Is it a newspaper ad? Is it something along the way? Okay, well, again, it's still not enough, this model. It's still not enough, because what in an ad campaign or in a TV show or literally anything in media, you, you want something. You want a response. You need feedback. You need feedback here. You need something along the way that tells the source that you got this message. All right, so in, if it's an ad about Nike shoes and the just do it comes by, it means nothing unless you go to your local Foot Locker and go buy a $150 pair of Jordans, right? 
I mean, it means nothing. Like, so there has to be some sort of decision that was interpreted by the receiver. Okay, so that's feedback. So the feedback, come this way, my friend. Over there, a little more. The feedback goes back to the source, and they say, aha, the ad campaign worked. Or, aha, our post worked online. Or, you know what, our newspaper ad, the, the, the source of us, we sent this message, and the message was, get, was taken by a receiver, and that receiver that interpreted that message, and then they bought something. Right? I mean, that's what it is. That's the sender, message, channel, receiver, model. Aha, but you probably know, if you haven't seen this before, I'm sure you have. There's one more thing. Come on, bud. And it is noise. This is uh, appropriately named right here. Okay? All right. Now, noise, noise interrupts receiver. This could be a baby crying. This could be bad reception on your television. This could be uh, you bought a newspaper. If you, if you still know what a newspaper is, kids, there were these paper things we used to read. It was wonderful. Uh, in fact, there's a, paper, a newspaper place right down the street, unfortunately. Uh, it's now a museum. And so now, it could, be, it could be that you bought a plane dealer, but the sports page that you wanted to read, somebody else took it, and so noise took place. And that noise interrupted this. It interrupted the message. But that's not all. Noise can also come this way, my friend. Noise can also interrupt source. So somewhere along the way, noise can come from within or come from without. It could interrupt source, and so you wouldn't get any of the feedback. It could also interrupt the receiver. So the person making the phone call, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I get bad reception. If you ever try to call anyone on the pastoral staff on their cell phone in the middle of the day, you'll find we're constantly going, can you hear us? Oh, I'm sorry, I get bad reception. here. like... All throughout this property, there are dead zones where we can't make cell phone calls. And so it is by way of whatever the distraction is, the noise. Did you know that God wants to communicate with you? But there are certainly things in the way, and there are certainly pieces of, my friend, noise that will conceivably interrupt that. You guys can have a seat here. We'll call up these uh, dashing men here in just a second. Have a seat. Thank you, guys. So source sends message by way of a channel. A receiver receives it. He gives feedback. And then, sadly, you have to work through the noise, whatever that noise is. God desires to send a message to man. And it's up to the man to respond in a decision. Or we would say by way of repentance and faith. The question then becomes, what does doctrinal repentance and faith look like? I I mean, the effort in one ad campaign to try to get one sale or the effort that you have to try to get one message across to your husband who may or may not be listening or, or, or in any realm of communication. And this is sort of the point. The point is the noise. And somewhere along the way, a response or feedback or in the case of our Lord, repentance and faith has to look like something. Well, what is that something? Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. In uh, verse 1, uh, he tells him to be strong with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He tells him that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, be patient. And he gives him a postscript on what repentance looks like in the mind. I mean, imagine 
this is sort of a, uh, a letter of discipleship, our pastoral epistles we call them. It is, Timothy, is Paul counseling Timothy, and he's telling him to do certain things. And one of the things he's instructing him is when you start to instruct people, do it in a spirit of meekness, because you'll bring them to something. Well, what is that something? Take a look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Well, what does repentance look like? What does faith look like? It looks like the mind acknowledging truth. It looks like something that is striking to the mind that all of a sudden you understand, well, these are the biblical facts now I have to understand. You have a a preacher week to week, and he is preaching from a book. And in that book, there are certain messages and verses that he's trying to convey to the people. And it is the mind of God that we are trying to convey to people. It is that very message. And what happens is, as we begin to hear the message, as we begin to allow the message to touch our heart, there is something in our heart that begins to interpret that information, and then we wonder, does this apply to me? Like, for instance, if a man uh, walks into our place and he's unre- our church and he is unregenerate, and all of a sudden he hears that Jesus Christ loves them and he died on a cross for him and he rose up from the dead for him. And all of a sudden he starts to think about this information and wonder, okay, so it was a story of, of, of God becoming a man. He took on human flesh. He died on a cross. He, he went to the tomb and, and in three days he, he came out of the grave and, and that pays for my sins. He is establishing these thoughts in his mind. You know, the man, when he begins this process of acknowledging the truth in his mind, He might say something like this. I accept the truth. I accept the truth in his mind. But what else does repentance look like? It looks like godly sorrow of the heart. It looks like godly sorrow. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And after sending them a scathing epistle in 1 Corinthians, he's telling them, look, the reason why I was so harsh in my first letter is not because I wanted to do it. I just, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I had to do it. It's not because I wanted you to feel bad about yourselves in general. I wanted you to get right with the Lord. I wanted you to sorrow over your sin. It is a heart repentance. It is a godly sorrow. Look what the Bible says here. Now I rejoice... Not that you were made sorry. It's like, I wasn't happy that you were feeling bad, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Look at this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. All right, so you have two types of sorrow that the Apostle Paul is delineating. He's drawing a line. He says, if you get so burnt out over the sorrow of the world, my car broke down, my kids are sick, my, uh, my house payment is due, my bills are behind, all these are worldly sorrows. I'm not saying they're sins by any means, but I'm saying it's a worldly sorrow. He's talking about something a level deeper. He's saying, if you understand that you are a sinner before God, a sinner that has come short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, no, not one, then he's trying to tell them, and by the way, the church of Corinth was a, was a church. It was a group of born-again, baptized believers. Amen. It was a group of Christians that had to get right with the Lord. And all of a sudden, those people had to feel a little bit bad over their sins. What does repentance in the heart look like? It looks like godly sorrow. All right, so 
we're getting to this thing, this doctrine of repentance of faith. First, it looks a lot like it looks a lot like the acknowledging of the truth in your mind. But it also looks like repentance in your heart, like a godly sorrow. I want you to see a couple other things here. Go to, uh, oh, excuse me. The man who says something like that might say, in the way that the first man said, uh, I acknowledge the truth, this man says, well, my heart is broken. My heart is grievously broken. Turn to Hebrews 6.1. Hebrews 6.1. What else does this repentance and faith look like? Hebrews 6.1. Hebrews 5, jam-packed with information. Uh, not enough time to go there, but then he picks up in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Well, here's a third aspect of faith and repentance. It looks like the will repenting from dead works to faith towards God. It looks, like, it looks like the turning. So if, if I was a person who was trusting in my baptism to save my soul, or trusting in my church membership to save my soul, or my good works to save my soul, what Jesus is compelling all of us to do is to say, you put those on this shelf, and you turn away from those to faith in Christ. The Bible says as much in Romans 10, 9 through 13. That is, the re- believing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, you're turning away from everything else. All right, so this repentance looks very interesting. It looks like an acknowledging of the truth. It looks like a godly sorrow. And it looks like repentance from dead works to faith towards God. It is that, that turning in the will. All right. So true repentance embraces all three of these parts. Each person will experience each aspect at different levels. You might not be a deeply emotional person. Uh, some people are very emotional when they get saved, and some, you know, they're, they're weeping. I mean, weeping, and it is, I'm not mocking it. It's, it's real, it, and they're real tears. I have this joke at home when my kids cry when they can't get a second cookie or something like that, and I go to my wife, I'm like, honey, these are real tears. Let them have another chip ahoy, something like that. But everyone experiences their natural affection in different ways, that's for sure. But you need to have all of them. So, for instance, Agrippa and Festus, well, even Festus tells Paul, much learning hath made thee mad. I mean, they were, they were amazed by the wisdom of Paul. But Agrippa, by his own testimony, says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Agrippa and Festus, while they're amazed intellectually, they never got saved, sadly, at least as, as far as we know. Oh, what about Orpah? Orpah returns to Moab after profusely crying, profusely crying with Ruth and Naomi. And yet she turns back to Moab. And, and, but it is, it is a true heart thing. I mean, like, we're not mocking her feelings. They were, they were real feelings. Those were real tears. But sadly, she didn't actually make the right choice. By the way, Esau too. The Bible says he sought repentance carefully with tears. So there's... Just, just the heart aspect is not enough. Just the intellectual ascent is not enough. And by the way, I mean, we, it's not like we revel in this, but it doesn't look like Judas got saved. He didn't transfer his faith to Christ, did he? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, he went to his own place. All right, so now, uh, just one aspect of these things is not enough because the will, the heart, and the mind, they're in the soul. And did you know that 
when you trust the Lord, you trust Him with your whole soul. And, and yes, different, perhaps, variations from person to person. When somebody gets saved after reading Romans 10, 9-13, in their mind they hear the facts of Jesus Christ, that He loves the world, and He died and rose up for lost sinners in their mind. But in their heart they realize, He rose up for me. He loves me. He died for me, and He rose up for me in their own heart. And, but that's not enough. It's not enough. Because they have to transfer their will to the Lord. There has to be something where they call upon the Lord in faith. In their will, they realize that trusting in their baptism, their good works, their church membership, it's not enough. You know what is enough? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough. So they transfer their trust to Jesus Christ. When a Christian gets right with the Lord, in their mind, they realize God's conditions. They get the facts, so to speak. In their heart, they realize they are guilty of the commandment of God. And in their will, they decide to get right on that issue. Turn away from whatever that sin is and return back to God in faith. Amen. Amen. Can I have our guys come back here again to that same order, please? I rarely have like these wonderful assistants here. What a blessing. Aren't they doing a good job? All right, so now... You know, strangely enough, Mr. Berlow's model of communication is, is quite biblical. I don't know that he meant it that way, but it is. So the source is, is God, and uh, in fact, uh, we'll, we'll have you over here for now. If you can stand by Kyle, we'll have you over here. Very good. And God is sending the word by way of the Holy Spirit to, to, to not just random people, to every individual. I mean, he wants to communicate with them. He wants to speak to their heart. So the Bible goes forward. And the Bible then comes to the man. And that could be like a, like a teen at camp. You know what we do at camp? We are so sinister. This is sinister. Each year it feels more sinister. I feel like I, I'm going to get a lawsuit for doing this. We take their phones away. Can you, can you imagine? I think one year it's, like, it's just not going to work. I, I keep thinking, how could we keep doing this? People are just giving us their phones, and yet they do. I'm sure people sneak their phones. I'm sure it's, it's happened before. I'm not so foolish. But we take their phones away. Well, well, why? Well, we're trying to limit this. We're, we're trying to, you know what else we do? This is mean. We wake them up to have breakfast at 7.45. You know, we're so nice that on Friday morning, we give them an 8 o'clock breakfast. I always look at that and I'm like, oh, that was so nice of us to give that 15 minutes. That was so sweet, so big, so big of us. Well, well just the schedule is a form of trying to limit the noise. And, and, and by the way, we exhaust them. We give them game after game after game. And, and in chapel, there's games. And on the field, there's games. And there's, uh, you heard it tonight, there's a big uh, water balloon toss. And it is, it's, uh, it's a time where everyone loses their testimony. It's a terrible time. Actually, I'll just tell you that right now. The water balloon fight is, is, is miraculous. It is unbelievable. And I lose my testimony in that day, for sure. But, but why? Because we're trying to cut out the world. And man, is there a lot of noise. Because for each person, God, by way of the Bible and the Holy Spirit, is trying to speak to the man, and he is waiting for this. And, and we just looked at three key passages on what the repentance and faith looks like. An acknowledging of the truth, a godly sorrow, and a turning of the will in some way. I mean, for each person, 
This is what is done in the life of one man that's saved. One. It's not a group of people. It's not a large swath of people that get saved with, with one. It's, just, it's the Holy Spirit on the individual person's level as he ministers to their soul. Unbelievable. I mean, think of, think of the effort that the Holy Trinity is going through every time a man gets saved. Every single time a teen gets saved. Boy, that is special. You know what the Bible says? Or despiseth the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, now knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? It is by way of the goodness of God that one person is saved. One. So, what would hinder the communication, though? What would hinder this decision? The faith and repentance back to God. While I like Kyle a lot, he's just holding a sign, I promise. It's this in our life. Look, we, <laughs> we are almost autocratic at camp. We take their phones. I mean, it is a dictatorship. It is unbelievable. We, we take, and, you know, there's, okay, you heard, we have some rules. They're not so bad, I don't think. Uh, and, and we, we exhaust them. They're on a schedule. I mean, we're constantly farming kids back and forth, get point A, point B, point C, and we're, we're doing all these things, but we don't do that at church. I mean, can you imagine if Brother Vance is collecting cell phones at the door? <laughs> this place would be cut in half next week if we tried that. Are you kidding me? But there is noise, and the noise is within or without Notice the parable in Luke 8. Verse 12 said it's the wayside heart. The devil comes and takes the word away. A noise from without. Then there's the, the, the rocky heart. They have no roots. It's noise from within. Then it's they which fall on thorns. This life absolutely chokes them. And it is the riches and pleasures of this life that just lavish all over them and they yield no fruit to perfection, according to the Bible. Verse 15, then there's that good ground. And they are honest and good, the Bible says, and they bring forth fruit with patience. The first three really struggle with noise. I mean, the noise is so loud, and it is on the inside, and it is on the out. Now, I'm going to give you a list, and I'm not calling these sins, but I am calling them a type of noise, as we all deal with these things that I'm going to list here. So, I'm not saying these are sinful to think about or legitimate problems to have, but I want you to consider that for a second, it could be that this noise is distracting you from the message that God has for you. How about finances? How about health? How about the imperfections of our church? How about stress at work? How about what people think of you? How about wondering who respects you and who doesn't respect you? How about family problems? How about relationship problems? How obsessive cell phone usage? How about sick children at home? How about multitasking? How about schedules and schedules and schedules? And that constant noise that is screaming inside of our heads and outside of our bodies. It is the noise, the noise, the noise. And it is God himself that by his own testimony says, yeah, but I have a still small voice. You know, the Lord didn't speak by the earthquake or by the fire. He spoke by a still small voice. Voice. That's the irony of a still small voice. It is oh so ignorable. Because that's the thing. 
God speaks this through a channel, the Holy Spirit, to the man. And he is waiting for this, faith and repentance. But the problem is this. And I'm not saying any of those things are sinful if you're experiencing them. But I am saying that it could be the noise that is distracting the very message of God to your soul. We just looked at how God speaks to every aspect of our soul. The heart, the mind, and the will for one man. For one man. So quiet the noise and listen to what God has for you. Why should you quiet the noise in your life? I I had one simple point and I'm done. You're like, why didn't you just start here? You could have ended 30 minutes ago. All right, yeah, it's just, I had to give you your money's worth here. That's what I had to do. Because God has a personal message for you. For you. You know, there's a message at large for our church, I'm sure. There's a message that is probably at large for our community that we live in, and maybe even for, the, for our state. I believe those things, for sure. But you know what there's a message for? The individual bearing the image of God. The Christian, born again with the blood of our Lord and Savior. And that message is for you. And so it is worth silencing the noise, at least for a time. Let's pray.